So hello and welcome to another episode of Freed from Feminism. I am Beth. I'm Teresa. And today we have back on Tasha Rose, who you heard in our financial living on one income episode. But we decided to have Tasha Rose back on because she has a conversion story for us for our uh, conversion from uh, feminism series, talking to different people about how they were once feminist or had feminism in their life and have since, I guess you could say, recovered. So welcome, Tasha Rose. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I think usually the best way is to just kind of hand it off to you to start your story wherever you feel the beginning is. Um, and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper with some questions. Sure. I mean, it's really hard to say where it begins because it's such a it was such a process for me. Um, but I grew up in a, a pretty abusive home with parents who were, I mean, I guess you could call them conservatives, but they they weren't really like they weren't liberals. We'll just say that um, they were politically active people or anything like that. Um, but I knew I didn't want to be like them. So I thought that how I went was like not how I was going to be not like them was to be a liberal, you know, and um I spent 20 years of my life voting for Democrats and I went to a Catholic women's college here in the Twin Cities and um, really I grew up in a small town. So feminism wasn't really a thing in the small town I grew up in. But of course, once I got to St. Kate's, you know, it was the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet and, you know, they're the nuns that don't wear or the sisters that don't wear habit. And, you know, it's like, total feminism on campus about everything. And um, that's kind of where I got my my foray into it all. Um, had diff- all sorts of different women's studies courses. And of course, one of the first courses that um, incoming freshmen take college. What's that? Can I interrupt real quickly? And just add, so did you say this was at a Catholic college? Yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's um, the college, well, it was the College of St. Catherine at the time, and now it's the University of St. Catherine. Um, it's here in, in St. Paul. And, um, right. okay. so you weren't, so you weren't Catholic, you just were going to this. I was Catholic. I was you Catholic. were Catholic, yeah. but it was, and it's a Catholic women's college, so it's just for women. Huh. Yep. Now it's not just for Weird. women. They, they, they call it a Catholic women's college, but they admit, um, transgender men who are transgender. And posing as what? Well. So it's not a Catholic college. So <laughs> also allow women who are feigning to be men. So I mean, it's just like it's a whole big mess. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got the background. We yeah. We are yeah no <laughs> One of the first courses that incoming freshmen have to take there is called the Reflective Woman, and it's actually really the book that goes along with it. I've got several copies of it because I really enjoy the literature that's in the book. Um, so I've got the copy from my freshman year. I've got, and I've got several other copies from other years and it's a really great book, but that was the first time I ever heard a woman and a feminist use the word herstory. And I was like, what the heck is that about? You know, I was, I was like put off by it, you know, but as time went on, I was like, oh, I get it. You know, she's just, it's just a play on words. It's no big deal. You know, um, so, you know, my my feminism, I guess, is kind of rooted at St. Kate's and um, and it carried me through, you know, working with the Democratic Party here in the Twin Cities and 
everything that I was doing. And, um, and I, and I had fallen away from the church after then too. And, uh, which is funny going to a Catholic women's college, you would think, you know, there's gotta be some affirmation of being a Catholic there, but it's not really like that at all. <laughs> you know, but, oh, I mean, the computer Minerva. system is paganized and it's called Minerva, the computer system at St. Kate's. It's called Minerva. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Well, just for context, when was this like the herstory kind of thing? This was um, early, well, 1999, early 2000s. So back then they were doing the herstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yep. Um, and of course, my my professor, the professor who was the professor for um, the reflective woman, she was also my advisor, and she's like totally second wave radical feminist type. Um, so she's like the Gloria Steinem generation of feminists. Um, so I, you know, I get away from college, whatever my life goes on. I'm not in the church. I fall into paganism, hanging out with Twin Cities pagan people for, I don't know, a good long time. Um, that's in fact, actually, that's where Travis and I met. And, um, and that's a whole different story. <laughs> so just kind of trying to fast forward through a few things that are a little bit relevant, but only, you know, um, so I'm in the pagan community and it's like 2012 and this whole transgender, like I, I knew about transgender people and, you know, had known about transgender people for, I don't know, since like 2006 or so. I was like, oh, that's a thing. Like I thought that transvestites were just a thing, but they knew they were men. Um, and I remember seeing transgender people on like, um, what's that show where he was like, and the test results prove that that was a lie. You know, that guy, um, I saw transgender people on that show and I was like, oh, that's really weird. That seems kind of like a body dysmorphia kind of thing. And this was like, like I said, 2006, 2008, roughly. And um, then about 2012, um, there was this big hubbub. And this is this is kind of the, the genesis of leaving feminism that led to leaving the Democratic Party that led to me coming back into the church. So 2012, there was this convention out in California for pagan people. It's called Pantheacon. And my friend who um, was, she's a Dianic Wiccan. And Dianic Wicca is all about the feminine, like 100%. It's all about female worship of the female divine. And it's, that's what it's centered on. And they had this, uh, this Wiccan ritual there that they were excluding transgender identified men from. So men who thought they were women. And I was like, wait a second. Like my, my, my scholarly brain turned on with regard to the constitution and religious liberty. And I was like, why are these men trying to force their way into these women's religious practice when this is their right to practice without whoever they want to practice with, you know, or practice with whomever they want to and, and exclude whoever they want to. And so that was kind of the thing that started me um, looking a little bit more into what feminism was carrying, because feminism was starting to carry the weight of this, of this transgender movement at that point. Um, and that's where we see like the third wave really kind of hitting its apex is, I don't know, right around 2012 to about 2018 or so. It's kind of the, the peak, peak, uh, peak third wave. And um, I was really asking a lot of questions about, okay, well, how is it that these are women? 
and what makes them women. And I grew up a girl and went through a lot of things that only girls go through. So how is it that they can just one day say, I'm a man now or I'm a woman now (laughs) when clearly they grew up a boy, they went through boy things, grew into manhood, et cetera. You know, some of them father children and like all of this. I was really asking all of these questions and getting really baffled because nobody was responding in any way but a circular way. So it was just really perplexing to me. And I got all these labels that I was, and at this point I'm still like, yeah, I'm a feminist. Like I believe, I believe in equality and I believe in, I believe in a woman's right to choose, even though I, I, and I was on that, that camp of I would never have an abortion, but I could never tell another woman, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole camp. Yeah. So I had all of these ideals, and, but I, and I was like, how can you call me names when I'm a feminist and I am in your camp here? I, I, I believe what you believe. I'm just asking you questions as to why I should accept a man into my space. Oh, you can't call them men because they're women. And I'm like, but how? <laughs> you know, I was asking these questions and I just kept getting the circular answers. And then um, all of the the pejoratives kept coming out of turf. I don't know if you've heard that pejorative uh, ever, um, but it means trans exclusionary radical feminist. And I, and then I was like, what's a radical feminist? Like I've never heard of radical feminism before. I just always heard of the second wave of feminism, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, radical feminism, huh? And so then I started reading things about radical feminism and that just kind of like, I went down a rabbit hole with that. And I read all of Andrea. And I think that I think that people should women. I think that women should read feminist literature. Make no mistake. I think we should so that we know what we're combating, because if we don't like we can just we can say as much as we want to. This is the way it should be, because this is how naturally we are, blah, 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 blah. But if we don't know what their misconceptions are and the lies that they're feeding other people about what femininity is and what womanhood is about and what women's roles in the world is, what's what women's role is in the world, um, then we, we don't really have a way to argue. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I was reading like Andrea Dworkin, who actually has done a lot. I, I will give her credit. She did a lot here in Minnesota with regard to pornography. So there's I was like finding these things that I really jived with um, the radical feminist movement, like they're anti-surrogacy. And they are anti-pornography and they are anti a whole bunch of things that actually Catholics are also anti. And then when I found out they were anti this whole transgender thing, I was like, whoa, well, I guess I must be a radical feminist then. Mm. Yeah. And I, I fell down this whole thing. And then I, I started joining these groups on Facebook and I was learning very quickly that I was not, in fact, a radical feminist because <laughs> I met, <laughs> you know, I was called all sorts of names. I was called a breeder because I, at that point I had, I had several children at that point already. I was called a breeder and I had men. So I I had men children. So I was um, being called, I was told I was complicit in rape because I was raising boy children. And I was just like, what the heck are you talking about? This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they, the transgender movement swung me into radical feminism and radical feminism swung me out of it. And, and I started really questioning, okay, 
what is it that I actually believe? And this is before coming back into the church, too. Before I was even really thinking about coming back into the church, I was slipping into the red pill and slipping into being an anti-feminist. And I and make no mistake, not only am I a recovered feminist, I am anti-feminist. Um, so I was really like starting to listen to a lot of different people um, on all sides of things about feminism and um, what feminism has done and what it hasn't done and what it has claimed to do. It's kind of like that meme of like what my friends think feminism is, what I think feminism is, you know, that that meme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of listening to a lot of different things about it. And I I that's when I, I learned about Stefan Molyneux. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, this guy is going to kill me. But I was listening to him and he made so much sense because I've always believed that women should be at home with their children. Always. And that that comes from being a midwife. I mean, the biological imperative that we have to be with our children is like that's primal. You know, you can't escape that whether or not you're a feminist or not. You can't escape that primal need to be with your children. And some of us switch it off because of feminism. Um, But I started learning more and more via him, via women who speak out against feminism. Um, uh, Christine Hoff Summers. I love her. Um, I hate that she carries that feminist label, though. Um, I started listening more and more to these people. And I was like, huh, you know, I'm I'm not a feminist at all because I don't actually believe that men and women are equal. I believe we are equal in dignity, of course, but we're different. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I can't do things men can do and men can't do things that I can do. And I think that women should be, you know, all of these different things that I've always actually believed. but the framework just kind of shifted a little bit because I didn't have all of this cultural noise in my head anymore and all of this um, um, echo chamber. It was really an echo chamber that I was in that from college to the pagan community, you know, all of it was just this massive echo. And Travis and I at that point too had stepped out of the pagan community because of a lot of things that we just thought were completely inappropriate the transgender movement, sexual ethics and stuff, we were just like, oh, my gosh, we are not a part of this anymore. This is not who we are. We're gone, you know. Um, so we stepped out of our echo chamber, and that's when I was really able to cultivate, okay, this is my worldview, and if that makes me not a feminist, okay. And then I started finding out more about things that I didn't um, – that I never was told about certain feminists in history um, in all of my feminist studies, you know, about how some of them wanted to decrease ages of consent for, for children, you know, and just like the depravity, pure depravity of some of these women. Um, And then wanting to break up families and, and saying that men are completely worthless and, and, don't even get me started on lesbian separatism because I'm just like, I, some of these are, these are some of the most toxic women I've ever met in my entire life are lesbian separatists. And, and I'm not saying that to like whatever homophobe or lesbophobe or whatever label anybody wants to give me. I used to really worry about that, but you know, my, I have, I've got some friends yet who are lesbian and they're like, yeah, we know you totally don't hate us because we're lesbians. I'm like, yeah, I totally don't. Like I, I think because I have 
um, experience on both sides of the fence here. I really feel like I can understand why some women do slip into lesbianism because it's not our natural inclination. But I, I feel like I can understand why some women do as a protective measure because of experiences that they've had with bad men. You know, um, if that makes me a homophobe, whatever. I don't even care. Um, I know I feel like I'm really derailed here. <laughs> you got to focus me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it, you've seen the worst of the worst that feminine feminism is because I hear so many times like, oh, but it did so much good. But they don't I mean, people know abortion came from feminism, but they like don't know these little things like those radical feminists tearing you apart and calling you names. And it's and there's all these little different facets, different little bubbles of feminism, and they might be against each other. You got the feminism who's for transgenderism, which in a sense makes sense because. The more you make women like men, then like, what's the difference? You know, (laughs) and then you got the other people, the feminists who are against it. And that makes sense, too, because you're pro women and you're a man. So how are you in the the group? Like, (laughs) you know, and so, yeah, I'm I've just been blown away by how much you've encountered in your life. And that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask a follow up question, because going back to you kind of skipped over you had children as a radical feminist. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was going on there? Because you you said, yes, it's a primal need to be with your children, but Mm -hmm. there has to be more than that because I mean, the, the peer pressure and the media and the social, you know, propaganda is overwhelming. How, How did that work out? Well, it was really strange because, you know, there are some radical feminist groups who are very like, yay, woman, yay, birth. And they've got their midwifery circles and I give birth unassisted. So, like, there's a radical feminist unassisted birth group, you know, and um, radical feminist midwifery group and radical feminist mothering group. And because there are women who have children within radical feminism, I was one of very few women who had so many children. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't use birth control. You know, I never got into birth control, uh, save for months when I was 18 years old and pressured into it um, by a Catholic woman. (laughs) Um, I, I, you know, so I believe in, you know, paying attention to natural fertility and, that birth is one of the most glorious things our bodies can do. And, um, and a lot of feminists are like, Oh, this is the source of our oppression. (laughs) You know, our ability to conceive children is the source of our oppression. And I'm like, okay. When I really started to step back, I was like, this is, this is insane. Okay. So you, you actually have a form of body dysmorphia also. Just like transgenderism, just like anorexia, just like bulimia, you hate your body for what it naturally physically does. And you're trying to put that on me, calling me a breeder, calling me complicit with rape, calling me complicit with the enemy because I have a husband and I have sons. 
telling me that I shouldn't be breastfeeding my boys, telling me I should cut their genitals. I don't circumcise my sons, telling me I should cut their genitals because that serves them right for being born boys, telling me that I should be telling my sons that we're all female at the start of our, you know, after we are, after we're conceived, we're all female before. Teresa looks confused. I think when a baby forms, the genitals don't form until later. Right. But you're still male or female from. Yeah, you you would like there's it's going to become male or female. The baby like just as the baby is only like two cells to begin with. The baby is not quite formed. Like tell your boys that so that they know that at the root of it all, we're all women. (laughs) I'm just like, you people are freaking nuts. What is the with you um and I got kicked out of all sorts of stuff I had people trying to dox me I mean I already was dealing with transgender activists because I'm very I'm very public and very vocal about my opposition to the transgender movement and to the LGBTQIA and locally here in St. Paul I'm basically notorious for it and I've got a stack of police reports from um, activists you know lodging threats and putting pouring broken glass on my sidewalk and I think all sorts of stuff that they've done you know so I'm dealing with all of these transgender people and their activist crowd trying to dox me and trying to ruin my life and I'm like listen I'm not doxing like this is why I am the way I am I I don't care what anybody has to say about me and they can try to dox me but I'm not doxable there's I don't have we're self-employed you know so like what are you Mm going to do how, like there's no way you could ruin my life so mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep speaking the truth about all of this you know so not only did I have them but I also had the feminists doing the same thing and telling saying oh well I'm going to call your employer I'm like I am my employer yeah. <laughs> you're talking to the man because you're having too many children and how are you going to take care of them all and blah 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 and it was just crazy these, this crazy amount of just pure harassment from other women. And I have never experienced more hate from anybody in the whole wide world as I have from feminists. And mm-hmm. it's unreal to me. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing it right now, too. Now, I don't agree with Amy Coney Barrett having seven children, especially children who are still minor children, and having this massive career. That aside, this double standard of women can have it all but not this woman, <laughs> you know, yeah. it just my mind. This is what they do. As soon as you step out of line, you are just, you know, you're at yeah. their mercy for, mm-hmm. for as far as they can see. And, and if you don't care about it, then that's fine. But if you really care about what other women are saying about you, that's going to really do a lot of damage to who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that keeps women in feminism. You know, I, I when I started really, speaking out and I, and I started distancing myself and I said, okay, please don't call me a feminist anymore in like any kind of marketing materials when I'd be on podcasts or whatever. I was like, don't call me a feminist anymore. Women who I knew from the radical feminist world would message me and they were like, and these are good women. <laughs> they were like, how do you do that without people attacking you? And I'm like, oh no, no, they do attack me. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do attack me. Okay, well, I can't do that yet, <laughs> you know, and, and but then they ask questions like, how can I step away from this without people wondering if I've just completely been drugged or something? Or I had somebody even send me a book. My friend 
she well, she was my friend. And I worked I worked with this organization that um does lobbying and um rights uh court briefs and whatnot, uh combating the transgender movement. And one of the women in it who is a radical feminist was like, Can I send you this book? And so she sent me this book and it was something about and I got rid of it. I didn't even read it. I was like, This is ridiculous. I'm not reading this book after it arrived. And it was something about um how people's how people are duped into becoming conservatives. <laughs> and I was just like, do you think that little of my very expensive brain, I paid a lot of money for my information, you know, you really think that little of me that I could just be duped into it like I drank some kind of cult Kool-Aid or something that I couldn't just take in all this information and come to this conclusion myself that this is not a normal path for women. This is um this is a really it's really counterintuitive to go about this course and it comes from trauma. So so I do understand a lot of, you know, what the root of all of this is. A lot of this is trauma for a lot of these women. You know, if it's trauma from childhood and I could identify with that. Trauma from childhood. Trauma from abusive relationships, trauma from actually being in a cult, trauma from paganism or whatever, you know, a lot of what they go through and the views that they express does come and is rooted in a lot of trauma. And I can understand and appreciate that. But I don't think that it is the fault of this over, oops, sorry, that's an alarm, um, over this, uh, the fault of this overarching boogeyman of patriarchy you know you just don't buy it and I started we were gosh where were we I think we were in Chicago we were at the uh, field museum in Chicago a few summers ago and there's this exhibit of Native American culture and and it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years and you could really see that there was a there was a very clear delineation between women's roles and men's roles. And this is before, you know, the white man and, mm-hmm. and this, their umbrella of patriarchy came and spoiled everything, you know? And I say that as a Mohawk woman. So <laughs> I think it's so silly how we make these like categorizations. Um, you could see, and this is, and this is still while I was still processing all this. I'm like, you could see that there was very clearly a delineation between what women did and what men did and that it was based on their physicality Mm -hmm. and it wasn't based on any other thing. It wasn't based on this is fair and this is not fair. And, you know, it, it just wasn't like that. And so when I really was looking, sorry, I'm out of breath. I am just like, (laughs) um, take your time. Yeah. <laughs> I get really exasperated because it's really all so exciting to me to talk about, you know, so I just yeah. get really exasperated and excited to, and it all <laughs> rapidly. Um, so in, as all of this was like clicking into gears, um, it was funny because at the same time that I was clicking back into a place of normal, my husband was, he was, he had been in a job at a firm. And he was unbearable to be around. 
He was working like 80 hours a week. He was mean all the time. He was never home. He was, I mean, anytime we saw him, he was grumpy. And I was just like, I don't know how much more I could take of this man. Like, I just <laughs> was really frustrated with him. And um, so he's going through this really dark night of the soul. And I'm coming out of this radical feminism. And we both got to the end of those at the same time. And that's when I started going back to mass again. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he wanted to really, we had been going to a UU church and I always hated going there. Um, the what because, church? A yeah. Unitarian Universalist church. Okay. And, because we both recognized that need, that structural need for our family, you know? And um, I always hated going there because I was very well formed in scripture and I'm just like, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong. And we, um, I, I remember the last time that I went to one of the services, I, w- I kept going with my family, but I sat in the social hall while the children were in their classrooms and Travis went into the service. I sat in the social hall because I was like, I'm not going back into that. Um, they had um, a service. This is kind of tangential. Um they had a service that was segregated for black people in the sanctuary, in the main sanctuary, white people are going to be over here. And then no way anything else is going to be in this other room. And I was like, I have that no did not happen. Where do I go? <laughs> you know, and I was so offended by it. So oh I never went into thing again. I, and then, I know it's crazy. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. What, and uh, this, this, we're not talking about 1861 here, right? We're talking about like you know, four years, three years ago. Yeah, it was nuts. And so I never went back in. And we, oh. I think we went there maybe two or three more times, and then Travis agreed. I remember I was sitting in our classroom downstairs doing some organizing before school started. The kids had just started going, or no, they were going to just start going to VBS at our parish for the first time. And, um, and he's like, yeah, okay, we can look into going to mass again. And I had already been going to mass. Like I'd started going to mass during Lent that year. And, um, and so we went to mass and, or we started going to mass and Travis met, we were parish hopping for a little while until we figured out where we wanted to be. And then we, we decided we were going to be at St. Agnes and our priest in talking to Travis said to him, um, see, there's so many overlapping themes here. So I'm sorry. Um, our priest said to Travis, you know, the mother tells the children what they're going to be. The father shows them. And that kind of sealed the deal for Travis. He's like, all right, yeah, I got to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And we started going to St. Agnes because um, even as a non-Catholic, Travis really recognized the reverence that St. Agnes had. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me see here. Back. So we, so that's kind of, like I said, we clicked into the same spot at the same time. Okay. And then I started doing a, even more as I was coming back into the church. I was reading the Catechism of Trent again. And I was reading, because I had read it before, a long time ago, you know. And I had read um, Cassie Canubi. And I had read Humani Day. And I had read all of these encyclicals about what femininity is and what marriage looks like. And all of these. I read all of them in the past. But I revisited them. And I was like. I want to say a swear word right now, but you know, I was like, darn it. <laughs> and I've been wrong all this time. And what the heck is wrong with me? You know? <laughs> um, so can I ask 
when you, you know, you discovered radical feminism, all forms of secular feminism is wrong. What made you want to particularly become Catholic again? Was it because you were originally Catholic or was it because that small little Protestant sect you were in, you found wrong? So you didn't want to search for another Protestant church or. Well, I, I um, know that I always knew Catholicism was true. Um, and I, when I was away from the church, it wasn't because I didn't believe the church. I was mad. I was angry with God because of things that happened in my life that I had no control over and I was blaming him. Mm. Um, and I always maintained my devotion to our lady always. Um, I, for, for a long time, I've, I've uh, collected old pictures of our lady that, and I always look for them at thrift stores. If they've got somebody's last name on the backside, like they've hung in a nursing home wall or something, I, I buy those. And I've always bought them. And I have my whole hallway. I'll send you guys a picture of it. I've got my whole hallway is just this huge shrine to Our Lady. And oh. and it's been that way for, I mean, we when we bought this house that we're in, um, I knew that this was the house that we needed to be in. We weren't back in the church yet either. Um, I knew that this had to be our home because there's a, in our hallway, hallway where my shrine is, she uh, there's a old tele. Have you ever, ever seen those telephone cutouts in walls in old houses? And they've got like a drawer that pops out of the wall for like your telephone book, and you could put a seat there. Well, we've got one of those in our house. And my great grandmother's house. She was an Irish little tiny Irish Catholic woman. She had one of those, and that's where she had her little Marian shrine in her house. And I was like, this is our house. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, when people say to Jesus through Mary, I'm like, hmm, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I am proof positive that that is accurate because she's a patient yeah. mother and she will lead you back home if you have gone astray. Hallelujah. So I always knew it was true. I've always, um, I've always defended the church, even when I was not, um, in the church. So I, I mean, I never had any doubt that, um, if, uh, that that this was Christianity, that there wasn't everything else was uh, kind of a mockery of to me. So okay, so let's finish your story though. So you you started going back to St. Agnes. Your husband starts um, to go there as well. Then was he Catholic before, or was he? No, nope. he was oh. never baptized before. Okay. So he, um, when he came into the church, he was baptized and confirmed the whole shebang. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, so we came back in and um, let's see. Yeah. So started reading more and I have, I have a really faithful Catholic friend who's a little bit more on the left side of things. And um, she's like, well, no, I'm definitely a feminist. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> like I was really probing still. And I, I still thought maybe there was a slim chance that some kind of feminism could exist, that that was a reasonable thing, because I've seen, you know, these trad LARPer misogynists on Twitter who are just they're totally awful about women, you know, like so maybe there is some kind of room for feminism. But then I started exploring, you know, this is even within Catholicism, you you can't be a feminist at all because there isn't anything about it in the entire history of feminism that is a, um, 
in affirmation of what the church teaches. Nothing. Not a thing. From from first wave forward, you know, I 100% believe that there's there's no um, there is no way to be a feminist um, and a Catholic at the same time. Really, so that's where I was at, and I, I just started really probing, you know, how could I still be a feminist and and champion for the things that I have always championed for for women. Like I have always had a passion for championing for women who are pregnant and birthing options and making sure women have um, full information about the medical birthing industry. I'm very opposed to the medical birthing industry um, because it's always been predatory of women. And um, and that's another topic entirely. But um, so things like that and surrogacy, I'm very opposed to surrogacy and the human, it's human trafficking, you know? And so I wanted, to, I needed to find some way that, that made it, um, I was still trying to justify that these were feminist principles too. So therefore that made me a feminist within Catholicism, you know, mm-hmm. but really they're not, they're human issues. Right. And just because one of them like birth issues focus singularly on a woman doesn't mean that they're not human issues, you know, because it's, that's supposed to happen with the con- in, within the context of a family. And so that means that this is a family issue, which means it's a men's and women's issue together. You know, men need to be advocating for their wives so that their wives are, you know, I'm just, like I said, I'm going to be going into tangents about this, well, tangents, a series about this on my channel too, about um, birth practices in the United States, because it's, anyways, <laughs> um, so birth issues how I could still be a voice about that and advocate for women in that regard, how I could advocate for women and girls who are trapped in human trafficking and sex trafficking and um, surrogacy and pornography and all of these things that the overlaps that I talked about earlier, how I could still do all of those within the framework of Catholicism and not be labeled a feminist about it. You know, I, I, for myself, I approach a lot of these um, without religious language behind them, because I think that you can approach a lot of these without religious language behind them. Um, because that if you talk to somebody who's not religious in a religious way, you're not talking the same language. You're not speaking the same language. So I need to for myself in relaying to people the the dangers of feminism. I really have to to approach it that way rather than approaching it as, well, I'm Catholic and this is my position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. so interesting. Was there a moment where was it all gradual? Was there a specific moment where you realized, wow, I'm anti-feminist now. All of this is is bunk. You know, I have children now. I need to to raise in this, you know, anti-feminist. But really, I I'm not a big fan of that term. I just like, you know, pro-femininity, pro-masculinity, pro our own God-given natures. There's not a word for that. But anyway, was there a moment, or was it all just very gradual and uh, revealing? I think it was all pretty gradual, and there were times where it was. A little bit more rapid, you know, the cart would kind of go down the hill a little faster. 
um, and more realizations would happen. But generally speaking, it was a pretty gradual process. Um, and, and I'm really glad for that too, because when I, I tend to get really, um, if a lot is thrown at me once, I get a lot of anxiety about it because I don't, um, when there's a lot thrown at me at once, it's, it's really hard for me to differentiate what's important and what's not. So to have all of that happen very gradually and go through the things that I went through. I mean, I had allies of 20 years, political allies completely abandoned me. Um, I ran for school board here in the twin cities and, um, because I was very vocal about specifically the transitioning of children, um, because I was vocal about that, I got, I mean, that's when all my police reports started happening, you know, um, and every single political ally I had who knew I held this position completely abandoned me. Every person whose campaign I worked on, you know, like it just all went away. And I was like, left in the lurch. And I was like, a lot of the people who you hear say, I, my party abandoned me. That's exactly what happened to me. And that's kind of what spurred me more to look more. Um, so it's just one thing. And that was kind of a rapid down the hill too, you know, at that, that point. Um, but then it kind of evened off again. And I just, it gave me time to absorb what happened and seek out more answers, you know? So yeah, it was it's definitely gradual. So since you left all forms of feminism behind, even Catholic feminism, uh, and you are raising your family. You have seven, eight children now as you are pregnant with your eighth. How do you raise your family from here forth? Um, how do you raise your daughters in this society or your sons and how they're affected by feminism everywhere? Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I would say that with my firstborn, I basically lost the battle. Um, and be, that's because so much of her life was spent, like all of her formative years were spent with this mom who was a feminist, you know, so she had that as an example. She does have a really solid head on her shoulders. Um, but I do worry about a lot of things that she thinks about like I posted on Twitter one day that yeah I agree we should repeal the 19th amendment and she's like what and she comes out screeching at me like what are you talking about and I was like I've got a lot of reasons we can talk about it when you come home it's complex and I was weirded out by the concept at first when I first heard that there was even this concept of repealing the 19th amendment um but you know I I get it and she's like, are you voting? And I said, well, yes, I am going to vote um, because we're in a place in society that that's just that's how our society is run at this point. You know, so I feel like I have a responsibility at this point because it it was I was made to have it, <laughs> you know, um, and it matters. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, it's a complex topic. And so parsing that out with her is going to be an interesting one. There's a lot of issues that um, that we have. You know, modesty is a big issue between us, and she's – I completely lost that battle with her, and it breaks my heart. Um, so, you know, culture won on that because so much of my life was spent in the culture. 
rather than in the church where I belong. Um, now, the rest of my children, they're all homeschooled. Um, we really do make sure that they know, okay, boys are boys and girls are girls and girls are grow up and they become mothers and wives or they go into religious life and boys are boys and they become men and they become husbands and fathers or they go into religious life. You know, this is, these are the paths that God has laid out for us. And, um, we really make sure that they know this. Um, I don't, uh, in terms of femininity, I wear skirts every day. Um, the last few days when I've been so uncomfortable, I've just worn leggings in my house. <laughs> but I don't leave my house in leggings ever. You know, I always wear skirts. I don't own a single pair of pants. Um, and my girls are very, the, my 14 year old, well, she's almost 15 on down. They're all very modest girls. Yeah. Um, Zoe's, despite growing up mostly for, for most of her life with me, not in the church, Zoe, my 15 year old, she has always been a really modest girl, but I've also always been a really modest girl or modest woman. Um, I, I've never really been a big fan of, you know, showing off all the goods because it's just, mm. it's weird to me. You know, I just don't understand why I would need to do that. Um, but she's always been that way for her whole life. So I feel like that was kind of a grace that I was given. <laughs> um, but you know, my, my, I guess she's my middle daughter at home right now. My six year old, she's, you know, she wears skirts and she wants to wear a veil at mass. And if she doesn't want to wear it, she doesn't have to. And, um, you know, even with the baby, she sees mama and she sees big sisters wear a veil at mass and she wants to wear one too. So we put it on her and it lasts for like five minutes, you know, yeah. um, just model. So there's a lot of modeling and there's a lot of talking very frankly about the way the world is crazy. And, um, in fact, without going into too much detail, my 15 year old, well, 14 year old, she was in public school until January of this year. And we pulled her because of the LGBT agenda in the public schools. She had fallen in with some friends and uh, one of them was identifying herself as transgender and was very obsessed with my daughter. And, um, like to the degree that she was trying to find every single way she could to t- talk to my daughter after I'd cut every tie off. Um, I had to go to her mo- mother for the umpteenth time and say, you need to control your child. You need to keep her away from my daughter. If you don't, I will be pr- pressing some harassment charges because this is, this is to the extreme. Um, so there was a lot of that that was seeping in. So we're really, and we've always been really explicit about how we feel about that movement and the LGBTQ and, and such. So it was really, I think that because of her loving, giving nature, that that's, and this is, this is something I've noticed about um, when I said earlier, I can understand why women fall into lesbianism and I can understand why they fall into all of this because of our God given loving nature, our coddling nature, our nurturing, all of this that we don't want to see people hurting. She is so much that kind of girl. She's going to be an amazing mother someday because she's just so nurturing and loving. But that was really honed in 
by this narcissistic kid who didn't have any parental authority over her and taken advantage of. So we pulled her and, um, you know, we really work hard to be very explicit about this is not how we were designed. We are designed for marriage. We are designed for God. We are, this is, this is what God made us for. Um, and it's, it's basically every day, you know, we, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, we just, we're just really realistic about things and, um, speak very plainly to our children about what, what it means to be boys and girls. Well, first of all, your story is, I mean, I wish people could see us right now because I mean, Beth and I, our jaws have dropped, our eyes have bulged. I think, I mean, <laughs> just your story is really, really interesting. Um, wow. It shows God's grace in your life to an extent that you don't hear every day. I mean, it was gradual, but oh my gosh, from radical feminism to this, I, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, I, um, I have a, um, it's downstairs too, <clears throat> a, a card that a friend gave me that has the verse from, gosh, now I'm going to completely space the verse name, uh, book and number, but it's, um, I'm restoring double unto you. And it was given to me because we had to go through, the archdiocese for an annulment and everything just because of the abusive marriage I had been in previously. And um, so we had to go through all of this. And so there was just this period of waiting and my friend gave me this card at the beginning of all of it. And it said, I'm restoring double unto you. And I just meditated on that verse for like the whole time. And I just, when everything came through and everything was like, Okay, now you guys can get married in the church. I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, this is God's promise to me. And, and I could see it and I can, I can see all of it. And you know, when I was getting rid of things, I, w- I got rid of, um, like literally every single book about witchcraft, about fem, like everything. I got rid of all of it. Tarot cards. I got rid of crystals. I got rid of like everything, got rid of it. And one of my, friends who's very dear friend of mine she is a pagan woman she's very dear to me she's like are you de-witching and I was like yep she goes wow I never thought I'd see that happen and and I said but you know what it's it's all God and I can't I can't ignore that you know this is all God and I can see God's hand and and some people want to call it confirmation bias because I'm brainwashed now or something and I'm I'm complicit in my own oppression now and I'm just like okay if that's what you feel better I guess I'm happier now than I've ever been in my entire life and I mean I'm 40 and I feel like I'm 18 again because of what God has done in my life Okay, well, then that segues perfectly into um, one of our last questions. So, so, so much of um, the Catholic sphere, at least in social media terms, are very polarized. You have the the liberals, um, I won't name any, it doesn't matter. And then you have the, the super right and, you know, the anti-feminists tend to obviously be on, on, on the, the super right side. 
Unfortunately, a lot of the, the super right tend to be kind of harsh in their anti-feminism. You know what I mean? I hate the word judgmental, but I'm going to use it just simply because I don't, I, I can't think of anything else. Um, and at least if I were to have come across that, it would have perhaps put me off a little bit of, you know, okay, so I know liberalism and, and, and I know feminism is bad, but why would I want to go to somewhere where, you know, no one else seems to be happy over there either. So I don't know if you've seen that at all, but my, my question is why should a girl, your oldest daughter's age want to reject feminism? Why should they want to become a wife and a mother? Why is it's a difficult lifestyle to live in some, in some aspects it's not praised in our society and it can be just, you know, the day-to-day grind is, is, is difficult, some harder than others. So why should women even want to do that? What, what's the upside? Is it worth everything that you did? So there's a couple of answers I want to give here. So with regard to the, the, the really hardcore mean-spirited types that we run across on like Catholic Twitter or whatever. Um, I said this a long time ago. Uh, there's, there's a trad Inc person who I won't say his name, but there's a book that's forthcoming and I, I don't want to read it because I am sick of really mean men trying to tell Catholic women how they need to be women when he has no man has any idea what it's like to be a woman and how God relates to us as women and how we relate to God. So for a man to just, well, I'm going to break it down in a scholarly way and be a know-it-all, it's really unappealing. And what woman's going to want to listen to this man talking, who's talking down to her when you're not superior? We are equal in dignity as human beings. You don't get to talk down to me. So you're not going to sit there and tell me. But I think that women need to be telling other women. And so to answer the second part of your question, talking to women and, and being really Socratic about it and asking, okay, well, why do you think this? Why do you, you know, we talked about in the financial video about, um, Women being viewed, women are viewed as sex objects, modernly sex objects, and as what we can contribute financially. Why? So asking them, why, why do you think that this is? What do you think happened in history that made women this way? Why do you think more women are delaying having children? Why, you know, all of the why questions and, and walk them around what their preconceived notions are about what it means to be a feminist. Um, so much of what we see in feminism is, well, I want to be equal. Okay. What, what does that mean? What does equality mean? You know, and, we, and then we hear all of the talking points of, well, 76 cents in the dollar and blah, 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 and all of these other things that are complete lies. The reason why women would want to walk away from this or at least question all of it is because we are so very lied to and we are treated like we are inferior, even if we are awake to all of this. You know, how many how many rad trad LARPing 
misogynists on Twitter, you know, try to tell women, oh, this is why we don't ordain women. No, we don't ordain women because Jesus didn't ordain women. You jackal, <laughs> you know, we don't ordain women or this isn't, you know, the reason why we don't ordain women is not because maybe she didn't shave her legs. Like, come on. I broke Twitter last night about women's body hair for crying out loud. It was insane. I was like, oh, I <laughs> Uh, where was I going? Um, so, you know, I think it really just comes down to women speaking with that feminine compassion and sometimes motherly, sisterly care and concern for other women um, to just say, listen, I, I, I think you're wrong. And I think you need to really rethink this. Um, I got blocked on Facebook by a pretty well-known <laughs> abortion, anti-abortion pro-life woman, because I, I was, I was really concerned about the fact that she's all over the place and, um, you know, who's watching her kids. And I was really, I like genuinely, like it came at her with genuine concern and all of the leftist Catholic feminists were like, and I'm just like, you can't win. And I did it compassionately too. And there does come, there does come a point where, you know, some, some women are just mired in culture, even if they are faithful Catholics. And it seems like a juxtaposition of philosophies to women like the three of us. And it's really hard to penetrate through that, but it is possible. And it's possible with patience and with prayer and, and compassion, really, because there's a lot of, um, I hate the phrase unlearning because you, you can't unlearn something, but there's a lot of, um, rebooting that has to happen because culture has really jacked our brains for the last 50 years. You know, there's, there's a couple of generations now that don't, that are completely divorced from what it means to be a woman that are completely divorced from our bodies. And that's, that's what, you know, the abortion movement has done. That's what the marriage movement, the marriage equality movement has done. That's what transgenderism has done. All or the LGBTQ in general. It's all divorced us from we have a body and this is the body that we were given. And um, none of us know what that means. And, you know, a good example of all of this is the Catholic response to so everybody knows who Chrissy Teigen is. Um they, I don't know if you saw the news that she and her husband, John Legend, they just had a massive baby loss. And it, it's so sad. And there's devastating pictures of it, like of her in the hospital. And it's just heart wrenching. And I've had three yeah. miscarriages. I know what this pain is. Mm. And underneath Lila Rose's, Lila Rose wrote a really beautiful, compassionate, please pray for this family. And there are people that are just nasty, 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 Catholic people, pro-life people, nasty about this family's loss. And I'm just like, who are you people? You're Catholics. And you're divorcing this woman from the grief and loss of her child because you don't like her politics. What's the matter with you? And that happens within the Catholic body, you know, and it's like, I don't, and that's the culture. That's all the culture, you know, 
we've, we're so divorced from who we are as human beings that God created us to be that we have such a hard time even breaking out of all of it, you know? Um, and I had another point about that, but I can't remember what it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get, I get to like that. And, uh, maybe. So everything you just said right there, I love because sometimes I feel like we're on this weird island where it seems so simple to be kind to one another and women to each other. That's how we'll get rid of feminism, not by some scholarly list of things. It's not it's not going to convince anybody. Um, And so we're we're both just blown away by your story, as Teresa mentioned before. We just jaw dropped over here. So uh, we we will wrap it up right here because um, I know you've been talking a lot. <laughs> you probably want to rest. <laughs> but do you have any final thoughts, any words of encouragement, anything that you want to tell our listeners about your story? Yeah, I mean, I just I really encourage Catholic women to examine, you know, where the culture is still feeding them because we, be, we become what feeds us. You are what you eat. You know, (laughs) so really examine what's feeding you and directing you. If you're out of your home with, you know, while your children are at daycare, you've got your children in school or whatever, examine why. And and don't listen to naysayers who say you can't that that you're, you know, they want to call you names or say you can't be a real woman if you're not a feminist and you're voting against your interests and you're you know all of this and then you know it's it's just ends up being noise same with the catholic trad men who want to make their lists like stop making your lists you don't you you don't need to listen to him because he's a he's not your head (laughs) and b he doesn't know what what being a woman is you know i used to teach dance and um this very specific style of dance that was a it was a group improvisational dance that it looked choreographed but it was it was completely improvisational and it happened via nonverbal communication and whenever I had a new group of students I always told them the reason why I taught dance this dance was because women hate each other and we are inculcated by society to hate each other and even in Catholicism we are in we're told to hate each other and it's subtle. It's subtle, nasty little ways that the enemy gets in and says, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> we're going to gossip and we're going to say awful things about each other. And we're going to shame women for losing their babies. And we're going to shame women if they don't have enough babies. And we're going to shame women if they have too many babies. And we're going to shame women who work and we're going to shame women who stay home. And if she wears pants, Oh my gosh, she's going straight to the pits of hell, you know, like, we're all of these really subtle ways that the enemy gets in and gets us to drag each other down. And if there were to be a real feminism, it would look Catholic. It would look like Catholic femininity um, because it would be modeling Marian behavior. And it wouldn't be this really masculine emulating nasty, mean, backbiting thing that disparages womanhood. Some of the worst misogynists I've ever met are feminists. And that doesn't speak to uplifting women. 
to me at all. And so we, we need to avoid that as Catholic women. We need to avoid these things, you know, take inventory. What am I doing to my sisters that is dragging them down and making them not want to be Catholic anymore or make them not want to be my friend anymore or make them not want to, are we being an example in the good or being an example in the bad? So that's how I feel about it. That's a beautiful note to end on. And Tasha Rose, I think that we could just have another three hour conversation and still not be done, but we are going to end it here for today at least. And we are so grateful that you were on, um, Freed from Feminism today. Thank you so much for your witness. Thank you for your story. We wish you the best. And um, I hope that your nausea goes away <laughs> very soon. And um, we'll be praying for your, your new baby. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we will see you um, all next time. And until then, check us out on Twitter at Freed Feminism. Uh, shoot us an email at freedfromfeminism at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.